0: I'd like you to turn to 2 Timothy, chapter 1. This is going to be an introduction to a new series. I'm going to read the entire chapter, uh, but I want to spend our time together this morning just kind of setting the background and giving some insight to uh, who Paul is and how he got into the situation he's in, uh, in in the environment that 2 Timothy is written in, and uh, maybe give us an understanding of uh, how incredibly beautiful this letter is. So I'm going to read the whole chapter and then we'll take a look at the first first two verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are filialists and Harmogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Word of the Lord, brothers and sisters. Last words are... A little bit of a curious phenomenon, aren't they? Aren't they kind of fascinating to read the last words of this person, the last words of that something? You know, they, they sometimes reveal something about the person who utters them. Sometimes they they maybe reveal a bit too much. Uh, last words can be very, very practical, pragmatic. Um, in the case of James W. Rogers, a uh, man who in the early 50s was... Uh, uh, sentenced to be executed by the state of Utah at a firing squad for murder. When they stood him up in front of the firing squad and got ready to put the blindfold on him, they said, do you have any last requests? He said, yes, I'd like to have a bulletproof vest. So they can be humorous. Uh, Bob Hope, who, who was gravely ill and being ministered to by his wife, his wife was sitting there communicating with him, trying to make sure that um, she said everything she needed to say to him and heard everything he needed to say. And very near the end, she looked at her husband and she said, Bob, where would you like to be buried? And he said, surprise me. So, last words can reflect the passion and character of the person who's dying. A woman named Dominique Bauhors, a French grammarian, said, I'm about to or I am going to die. Either phrase is acceptable. So the, the, the last words can, be, can express a somber finality. Uh, Jane Austen, upon her death, said, I want nothing but death. Last words can, can leave us wondering and trying to figure out what's going on here. Walt Disney didn't really say his last words. He wrote them. He asked for a piece of paper. They gave him a small piece of paper. He wrote the name Kurt Russell on the sheet of paper and died. And Kurt Russell at the time was a 16-year-old mousketeer, a rising star in, in uh, the Disneyland universe, and nobody knows what, what Walt Disney meant, including Kurt Russell. Steve Jobs, you know, the founder of Apple, uh, uh, upon his deathbed, he uttered, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. We have no idea what he was talking about. So they can be a curiosity. They can be droll. Winston Churchill just before he died said I am so bored with it all it can be incredibly profound Beethoven who went totally deaf at 30 years old and after going deaf wrote his most beautiful works just before he died said I shall hear again in heaven I think I think Paul's words last words fall into that latter category I think they're incredibly profound and They're found in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy's Paul's last letter. We've talked about it a number of times on Sunday mornings, and I think they're particularly profound when we understand what was going on in Paul's life, how he got where he was, and what what he was immersed in in these final moments. So I'm going to spend our time together this morning, getting you familiar with Paul and everything that led up to the writing of 2 Timothy. my question this morning that I hope to answer is, who was Paul? Who was Paul? Paul was born in AD 6, uh, a Roman citizen born to Jewish parents in Tarsus, uh, which is in eastern Turkey, was in eastern Turkey. Uh, In AD 20 to 30, Paul studied the Torah in Jerusalem, and his primary teacher was Gamaliel, one of the greatest teachers, one of the greatest rabbis, uh, the judaism ever had and paul became a pharisee now there were two primary sects i, I, I guess you could call them uh, they were similar to what we would call poli- political parties um, we're not going to get into that right now but there were pharisees and the sadducees and there were there were the priests and then there were the scribes so paul became a part of the sanhedrin and he was a brilliant theologian uh, he was a rising star in the sanhedrin there were high expectations of paul In A.D. 36 to uh, 39, uh, in A.D. 36, he was converted. But prior to that conversion, Paul was on a roll. He was persecuting Christians, and he was doing it with a passion. He started in Jerusalem, uh, chased him into Judea, chased him into Samaria. And uh, by the time we get to 36 A.D., he's chasing them into Damascus. And his job was to capture Christians, bring them back to jail, where they would be tortured... Uh, not necessarily to execute them, but the very first thing they wanted from the Christians was to find out what other Christians were. But Paul knew what he was doing. He would bring these people back. They would be tortured, and a lot of them were executed just for being Christians. So in 36 to 39, Paul is in Damascus. He's on his way to Damascus, and he has this supernatural experience. God reveals himself to him. In particular, Jesus Christ reveals himself to him, and Paul gets saved. And so his first visit to Jerusalem was about three years after that conversion. In the meantime, right after he got saved, he spent a little bit of time in Damascus, but he went to Arabia. We don't know what he did in Arabia. He was there for almost three years. I think he was, he was examining his own theology, everything he had learned, and understanding exactly what happened. Because when Paul came back from Arabia, he began teaching Jesus Christ crucified and Uh, the redeemer of God's children by the scriptures now the only scriptures Paul had at that point were the old testament there was no new testament so Paul became a witness for Christ a theologian and raised up in in the Sanhedrin sat under Gamaliel and he was teaching Christ saved salvation through Christ by the scriptures so by AD 39 and 40 uh, there was peace in the churches in Jerusalem Judea and Samaria um, they were getting a foundation underneath them. Paul was was uh, a very large part of that. The churches are at peace. In AD 40 to 43, Paul teaches in the synagogues in Syria and Cilicia. Cilicia. Now, both of those are very close to the southern part of Turkey, where we, we uh, modern-day Turkey. So uh, he's there for a, a period of uncertain length, at somewhere around two or three years. And during that time, he probably goes through a lot of the suffering, not all of it but probably goes through a lot of the suffering we saw in second Corinthians. All those things that happened to him happened to Paul early in his ministry. We have to understand this. Paul was just, he had all of these radical changes going on. He grew up under Judaism. He found out that Jesus Christ was Messiah, starts preaching him, and all of a sudden all these bad things start happening to him. So Paul never gets to the point to where he throws in the towel. He never gets in the point, he goes, you know what? I didn't sign up for this. I didn't know this was going to be so hard. Maybe I can go back and be a part of the Sanhedrin again. Maybe I can just forget all this stuff. He is so committed to the gospel that he goes through all of that litany of sufferings that we see in 2 Corinthians and continues to preach. So sometime during that time also, uh, he's brought from Tarsus to Antioch. Antioch was where the followers of Christ were first called Christians Um, and he's brought there by Barnabas and he stays there a year just before a famine strikes the entire region in AD 44 Paul makes his second visit to Jerusalem this time he takes a collection back he's been working with the, the churches outside of the region and he's bringing money back to support the Christians in Jerusalem because not only is there no food but there's no work as well AD 45 he goes back to Antioch it's kind of his base of operations Between A.D. 46 and A.D. 49, he does his first missionary journey with Barnabas. He goes to Cyprus, Antioch in Pisidia, that that was a little bit further north than the Antioch where his base of operations was, Uh, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. These are all places in Turkey. Now, so you have to see what's happening here. Paul started out in Jerusalem, went to Judea, Samaria. He went to Syria, and now he's in Turkey, and the gospel is beginning to spread from Jerusalem, just as as it was prophesied that it would happen, so he get he comes back through all those places in Turkey, lands in Antioch. They remain there for a while, and now there is he runs into an argument with Peter. Now this is significant as well, probably a bit more than we think, because Peter was the big Kahuna of the church, wasn't he? I mean, he was a leader of the apostles. He's probably the oldest one. Uh, he had this great relationship with Jesus Christ. He'd, You know, uh, he had denied him and he had been restored. Uh, And so Peter is running around the same region, a little bit further to the south. And what Peter's teaching is that, yes, you can be saved through Jesus Christ, but you have to be circumcised too. We can't give up all these traditions. And Paul, who's a, and this is funny, because Peter is the uneducated one. Peter is the one that grew up in Galilee where they talked funny. Now Peter's out there teaching theology and Paul, who is the, the, the Jewish theologian, the Hebrew theologian, is going, no, it's not like that, Peter. So they have a big dispute. There's a council in Jerusalem in a couple years and, and all of that gets settled. In A.D. 50, uh, Paul's third visit to Jerusalem uh, occurs. This is 14 years after his conversion. So Paul's got 14 years of ministry under his belt and, and they attend this council we were talking about then. Paul and Barnabas, after the council, James, who is the leader of the church at that council, says, you know what? Uh, It's okay for the Jews to be circumcised. Don't put it on the Gentiles. It's okay. Whatever you want to do is okay. This is not an essential of the faith. This is not something everybody has to conform to. Uh, So uh, Peter and Barnabas go back to Antioch, and this time they've got Judas and Silas with them. AD 51, Paul's second missionary journey with Silas and Timothy. They go from Antioch to Syria, Cilicia, Derby, Lystra, Phrygia, and Galatia. Now they're going even further north. They're at the, the uh, shores of the Red Sea. And they go to Troas as well. And on this trip, they pick up Luke. Luke becomes a part of the apostolic band. And eventually Luke becomes a very, very close friend and disciple of Paul. A.D. 52, uh, the gospel enters Europe through Macedonia, Uh, Paul visits uh, towns in Macedonia, Philippi uh, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens Corinth, he spends 18 months in Corinth starting the church there and this is when Paul writes his very first letter, it's the the first letter to the Thessalonians now there's a little bit of debate, maybe Galatians came a little bit earlier Um, there's some disagreement over the dates but Galatians and 1 Thessalonians are very close to each other A.D. 53, second uh, letter to the Thessalonians is written. And Paul leaves Corinth and he sails to Ephesus. Now Now he's back in Turkey. A.D. 54, fourth visit to Jerusalem. And there's a feast there. And from that, he goes back to Antioch. A.D. 54 and 56, Paul's third ministry, missionary journey. He departs from Antioch. He goes to Galatia, Phrygia, Ephesus. He stays in Ephesus for two years. And here Paul separates the disciples from the synagogue. Now, everything Paul had done up until this point, he had been teaching in the synagogues. They were kind of going into the synagogues and teaching Christianity. But in Ephesus, they're they're rejected roundly by the Jews. So Paul takes the ministry public. He goes outside the synagogue and begins teaching out in the city. So it's a significant event. But it's also what you need to be seeing is that through this entire process more and more pressure is being applied on Paul the more he goes and ministers uh, the more widespread the gospel becomes the more opposition he runs into now he's had to move out of the synagogue and into the city A.D. 58 uh, the epistle to the Romans is written and here's this is Paul's magnus opus of of theology uh, and uh, it's happened about 20 years into his ministry. He leaves Corinth, he passes through Macedonia, sails to Philippi, uh, preaches at Troas, addresses the elders at Miletus, and visits Tyre and Caesarea. He's headed back down towards Jerusalem. And in AD 58 to 60, is his fifth visit to Jerusalem, and it happens just before Pentecost. And there, he's arrested. He's arrested in the temple. Now, Paul's been in jail a couple of times, but this is a fairly serious offense, and now we're talking about, perhaps, prison. He's brought before Ananias in the Sanhedrin, uh, and he's sent by Lysias to Caesarea, where he's kept in bond for two years. Now he's under total supervision. He's got some freedom, but they're watching over him very closely. In AD 60, he's heard by Felix and Festus, and he you know, instead of defending himself, Paul preaches the gospel to them. They put him in front of Agrippa. And Agrippa is so moved by what Paul has to say. He says, you're going to try to convert me to a Christian too. And, but it's not going well in front of these guys. And Paul knows he's in trouble. So he appeals to Caesar. He says, I want to go to Rome. I'm a Roman citizen. I want to have an audience with Caesar. Now, it's a right he has as a Roman citizen. And in the autumn of AD 60, he sails for Italy. Now, who knows what happens next? Shipwrecked, right shipwrecked on Malta in the winter of 1860. In 18, uh, i um, sorry, AD 60. In AD 61 he arrives at Rome and he dwells there for two years on his own. He's in a hired house but he's under some supervision. And In AD 62 he writes and so all of this pressure is coming on and things are getting worse and worse for him but in AD 62 he writes epistles. He writes Uh, To Philemon he writes Colossians he writes Ephesians he writes the uh, epistle to the Philippians so Paul the more pressure that's being put on Paul the more productive he becomes and and these epistles are are pretty refined theology when you take a look at them in AD 63 he's acquitted so they let him go and and at that point some debate Uh, perhaps he wrote Hebrews Maybe Barnabas wrote it. Maybe somebody else wrote it. But a lot of people think maybe Paul wrote Hebrews then. And he takes another journey. He wants to go to Asia Minor and to Greece again. In AD 64, he visits Crete and he leaves Titus there. Now, again, watch what's happening. He's starting all these churches. He's running into a lot of opposition. But he continues to preach the gospel. Now he's leaving church planters as he goes. He leaves Titus in Crete and he exhorts Timothy to remain in Ephesus and that's when he writes the first letter to Timothy and shortly after that he writes a letter to Titus in AD 64 to 67 Paul wants to winter in a town called uh, Nicopolis he visits Troas, Corinth and Miletum and then he's arrested now this time it's serious because he's arrested, taken to Rome and sentenced to be executed. And at that point, he's deserted. He's by himself, by and large. Luke's there. And that's, that's when he writes Second Timothy. Second Timothy is written at a point where there's persecution, not just against Paul, but against the entire church. In A.D. 67, Paul's martyred during the persecution perpetrated by Nero. Now, why is that important? Well, well let me tell you what exactly what happened. Nero, uh, the leader of the most powerful nation on earth, stationed in Rome, some thought perhaps the biggest city, most beautiful city in, in, on earth, uh, wasn't happy with the way Rome looked. He thought it looked old. He thought a lot of the buildings were beginning to decay and fall apart. So uh, he, he lobbied to get new buildings put up. He wanted a new city. He wanted it to kind of be a a, uh, a monument to who Nero was, and uh, they wouldn't approve it. There was a little bit of a democracy there. Uh, they wouldn't approve it. So Nero secretly burns the city down. He, he takes a number of buildings and sets them on fire, uh, but the fire spreads, goes way beyond th- anything that Nero thought it would do. And Nero's kind of happy at first, thinking, well, there it is. Now we're going to have to build the new city. But there's this tremendous backlash. The people are upset. The Roman legion is upset. Yeah, these people have lost their homes. They've lost their places of work. And so Nero, desperate to make sure that it doesn't all turn back on him, shoots for an easy target see at that time the Christian church was just getting started in particular in those areas right there right there uh, north of Turkey through Macedonia and Greece and and Rome so Nero blames the Christians nobody liked the Christians the Jews didn't like them they were trying to change their religion the Gentiles tolerated them but you know what that Rome was a a culture where they worshiped multiple gods and Christians are standing there everywhere they're going there's only one God there's only one God so they were the troublemakers so when Nero points the fingers at the Corinthians uh, the Christians everybody believes them and all of a sudden there's this uprising and the Roman Legion starts moving through the Roman Empire arresting Christians now they were going to arrest them and torture them but their goal was not to execute them their goal was to torture them until they identified other Christian leaders whom they would go and arrest now eventually they were sentenced to execution and I gotta tell you something Nero was a twisted guy Nero came up with incredible ways to execute people and you know his three most popular ways were to feed them to wild dogs to crucify them, and the third was to cover them with tar and set them on fire. They would light the gardens, the Roman gardens, with those fires. See, Paul, when he was arrested and sentenced for execution, Knew what they were going to do to him. He had seen it. So when he's sitting in Rome, waiting for them to come to him, he writes 2 Timothy. I got to tell you something. If I was in that position, you know what my letter would sound like? Beloved Timothy, help! Get me out of here! Get a, get a mob, do a protest, have a rally, sign a petition. I, I saw in a movie one time, you can get horses and tie ropes to the bars around the window and get them, and, and they'll pull the wall out, and I'll come running out and jump on a horse. And get it. Whatever you got to do, Timothy, get me out of here. That's not what Paul does. Paul says, literally, Timothy, they're coming for me. I've got something important to tell you. I, I want to tell you what is lasting. I want to tell you what's important. We spend a lot of time together. And I want, you to, I want you to understand, I want you to know what to do when I'm gone. That's the background for 2 Timothy. So, the one thing that stands out through the entire letter, if you read through it, it's short, four chapters, The one thing that stands out, uh, uh, there's all this profound meaning, there's all this incredible application, but the one thing that rises to the surface is, Timothy, guard the message. Protect the message. We've been given the truth. Preserve it. Do all you can to present it in all of its glory. Don't allow it to be tainted. Guard it. I've decided to name this series after that primary message, Guard the Gospel. And I want to tell you why. I don't think today's too much different than Paul's day. You know, we don't see it right now, brothers and sisters. There's a rumbling in the ground. We're not the good guys. We're, we're, not, we're, not, we're not the high ideal anymore. There's a lot of oppression against the church. And every time we turn around, there's a bit more. Take a look at what's happening in California. Okay. I'm not making this political. All I'm saying is we're in an environment that's not too far different from the one that Paul was in. And the lessons that Paul has for Timothy are lessons for us. With that in mind, with Paul's background in mind, let's take a look at the first two verses of Second Timothy. Okay, because it's not, get me out of here. Here's how Paul starts his letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. I want you to notice the very first thing that happens is every time Paul mentions Jesus in in this book, it is Christ Jesus. It's Christ Jesus. Now, we're kind of a bit more comfortable with Jesus Christ. We know both of them are there. But, you know, we're comfortable with name first, relation first, then office. Paul is saying office first then relation, recognize who he is, recognize what he came to do, recognize what his position is here, he is the Christ, the son of God, the redeemer of all mankind, that's Jesus. So the office comes first and the name second. So I, I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, a messenger of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, dual message here, okay? I I'm, I'm not just an apostle, I'm not just a messenger by the will of God, but where I am and what's happening to me and the environment that I am is by the will of God. I don't like it. I'm not comfortable with it. I don't like what's coming around the corner after me, but I want to recognize that this is the sovereign will of God and he intends it for my good and for his glory. So, I want to embrace it, Timothy. I'm not complaining. I'm not asking you to get me out of here. I'm not asking to be delivered from my situation. I'm asking you to help me endure it. By the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Understand this. Paul is facing a horrific death. And he says... It's all according to the promise that I have. I'm not looking at the death that is staring me in the face. I'm looking at the promise that I have in Jesus Christ. And that's a promise of life. No matter what they do to my body, no matter what torture they put me through, I will live forever with Jesus Christ. So I'm willing to endure this for however short a period of time I have to endure it for the glory that's beyond. What a way to start a letter! Keep in mind that when Timothy reads this, Paul will have been executed. I mean, they didn't have airmail, no email. Put it on a camel, send him across the desert. Verse 2 to, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul, called by the will of God, ready to be executed, ready to walk in it because I have a promise that goes beyond anything that happens here in this world to my beloved Timothy. I bring you love and grace and peace and mercy. What a gift. What a gift. Paul's concern is for Timothy's welfare and his spiritual growth. Even as he faces death. It's an incredible letter. And it teaches us so much about how to handle the culture that we're in. We don't fight it. We don't make enemies. We embrace it. We take it as an opportunity to be messengers of the gospel. Paul knows that Jesus Christ went to the cross for him and now Paul very likely will face his own cross and Paul is saying you know what I don't like this but bring it on because I'm going home the rest of the letter gets better it just keeps getting better let's pray father we thank you and praise you for the witness and testimony of Paul for his courage father Thank you for his willingness to endure whatever he needed to endure for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of your name, for the sake of Timothy, for the sake of the church, for the sake of us as we gather here in this sanctuary, Father. We thank you that this is only made possible by the work that Jesus did on the cross, taking our sins upon him, Father, and setting us free. In Jesus' name we pray.